Welcome to How We Win. All over this country, people are doing extraordinary things. We don't agonize, we organize. We've won some battles, but we still have more work to do. Today, we talk Build Back Better, unions, whistleblowers, and of course, Virginia. And joining us to help us talk about Virginia is Air Force veteran and candidate for Virginia House of Delegates, Katie Sponsler. All of that, plus our reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is is How We Win. doing today steve i'm doing i'm doing just fine other than um our beautiful beaches here in california being uh destroyed by a awful mm. oil spill Hundred and twenty-six thousand gallons of heavy crude oil spoiling our wetlands killing our fish and wildlife and you know who would have thought that a uh, man-made pipe buried in salt water apparently in the 80s would wow would fail oh goodness it's california i mean just so gorgeous and just having a hard time um with the oil spill which always just it stays on the beaches and in the water for so long even after cleanup begins and the wildfires and just so much going on yeah there's a lot going on here, too. Um, oh, I just want to thank everybody who went to a, a women's march in their communities or women's rally mm-hmm. in, in a, for abortion justice in their communities this past weekend. Um, had a very large one here in Austin, and I know that there were hundreds all across the country. Most of it had to do with standing in solidarity with, with Texas women so thanks everybody for that. The love and support was felt here. Yeah, and uh, beautiful images from all over the country of uh, people standing up yet again in women's marches everywhere, and really beautiful pictures of you with Young Jackson in his first rally. Uh, <laughs> he seemed to have yeah. a good time. He was all smiles. He had a great time. We stayed. We stayed towards the back with all the other babies and families, and right. there were a lot of puppies there. It was a big dog town, so there's dogs everywhere. But yeah, he had. I uh, brought him like a little musical instrument to shake when everybody got fired up, and he enjoyed doing that. So that's awesome, and I'm excited for everyone to hear from Katie Sponsler, candidate for uh, Virginia delegate. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love her story. It's because she's us. She's the best of us, really. But, um, you know, she's an activist, Mm -hmm. an advocate, of course, has uh, served her career being in the Air Force and a uh, park ranger. But she talks about going to a women's march and hearing one of her sheroes Mm -hmm. imploring women to run for office, you know, if they have the opportunity. So she did. She, st- she heard that and she stepped up and ran for office. And uh, so many people uh, were inspired by these early big women's marches and then followed that up with, you know, really impactful action. So I'm excited for everyone to hear it from her. Yeah. The other cool thing about her campaign is I believe she's got she's got a like a, her staff or in a union. Mm. Which is which is great because, you know, so often we talk the talk, but when it, it went, you know, sometimes walking the walk is harder. Like 
uh, when you have to suddenly, you can say minimum wage should be this and people should be in a union. But then when you have to pay people and hire people and keep them at, at those wages, that gets a little bit trickier and you see fewer people doing that. So um, we're, you know, very pro-union and it's great to see when people back that up with, with their actions. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, that moves us perfectly into our news of the week because I do want to talk about uh, the IATSE strike uh, authorization. I was segwaying. <laughs> you are the queen. <laughs> Always out of the park, Grand Slam Segway uh, champion. Um, but yes, so um, so IATSE, um, for those who don't know, that's the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, have voted to authorize a strike. Um, it was near unanimous. Uh, nearly 99% of those that cast their ballots voted in favor of a strike authorization, with also about 90% of the membership voting. So, um, this, oh, wow. yeah. So, you know, union members have been trying to reach an agreement with producers on a new contract. Um, we stand in solidarity with them, uh, and many other associated unions are all, uh, standing in solidarity with them as well. The pandemic has been hard on everyone. I will say, uh, for our our friends who work in film and television and on crews, uh, it's been especially difficult on them because as much as producers have been putting in health measures, they're, they've been essentially frontline workers. They haven't been as protected as, as actors um, on sets, and they're asked to work long hours. Uh, they don't have, a, you know, in many cases, a living wage as a result of that. We'll, we'll see. Right now they are negotiating with producers today as we record this, so we'll see if an actual strike happens, but the authorization has gone through. Steve, you were telling me earlier that people approach you. I imagine just like people, strangers approaching you on the street and they're like, <laughs> hey, what's going on with the Democrats? They're in disarray. That's because I wear a big Democrat t-shirt all the time. <laughs> so they just, they're like, hey, um, yeah. Hey, I, I, got a, I got a problem with you people. Uh, yeah. What is, what do you, what do you, what do you say to that? Well, of course it still is. We're, we're working very hard on this infrastructure, uh, these two pieces of legislation that we want to pass, uh, together as one build back better plan. And, um, uh, it's frustrating that, uh, it hasn't happened like super fast, but it hasn't exactly been slow either. And everyone, uh, who, talks i have been having a lot of people come up to me saying what the bleep is wrong with the democrats and why can't they get on the same page and i'll and i'll tell you you know democrats really are on the same page about this uh, sweeping legislation this transformative legislation yeah. that's going to lift up the lives of of americans and um, make this country better build it back better but you know they uh, they may be in some disagreement about the timeline. The biggest person that is is the blocker right now is Kirsten Cinema, um, the senator from Arizona, and uh, and she's very flummoxing and disappointing because we still don't exactly know what she wants or doesn't want. Even Manchin uh, has talked about 
where you know the problems that he has. So there's a there's a way to uh, to figure that out. I heard it, I heard Ro Khanna on NPR uh, talking about you know that that he sees a very strong way forward with Mansion, but cinema is. You know, not talking much, certainly not to the press. So uh, this this legis- legislation has to get done. Democrats know that. This is central not only to their agenda and to Biden's agenda, but to making transformative change in our country that is going to make people's lives better. And uh, and that's that's where we make our case, right? It's not about messaging. It's not about finding the right thing to say to someone. It's about actually lifting them up. Uh, out of poverty or making their lives better, giving them health care um, when they desperately need it. So that's why I, I don't think Dems are in disarray. The media loves that. That's what they're always going to glom on to because that makes for better TV. But uh, Dems are much more on the same page than the mainstream media would have you believe. Um, well, the media likes alliteration. So Dims in, in disarray sounds pretty good. Um, okay, so there you have it. People stop confronting Steve on the street Cut about out. <laughs> I'm just Dems trying to get a smoothie, dis- y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wanted to also get your take on um, since we're talking about cinema, people might have seen this video where she was confronted in a restroom um, in air back home in Arizona by some um, immigration rights activists who I, I guess they couldn't get a meeting with her. And so they they found out where she was going to be speaking and, and uh, you know, approached her in, in a restroom to get, get her, to get their point across. Um, what did you think about, about that tactic? Well, I want to hear your thoughts. I feel like I've been talking too much. What do you, you know, what's your thoughts about that? I was going to weigh in. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't love people filming in the restroom for a variety of reasons, but I don't have a problem with um, approaching and talking to public elected representatives as long as you're not in their home or you know you you don't break in somewhere. Um, I, I don't ha- I don't I don't have a problem with it. Um, I know you know it's I think it's one of the potential tactics in organizers' toolboxes. And if you only approach people when, where, and in a way that they are most comfortable, you're not always going to get what you want. So, um, and this person had, a, you know, very personal reasons for being concerned about immigration policy. Um, and so, you know, if you're not being violent, you're not getting, um, you're not harming anybody, uh, then then I think if you're in public and you're an elected official, you're fair game. Um, I mostly agree with you about that. I, I will uh, I will say I have a hard time being critical of anyone who is advocating for themselves and has a personal stake in in this work. Um, I don't want to tell someone uh, an immigrant fighting for uh, their own rights like how you should be fighting for that you know when I'm not in that same circumstance. I don't think it was productive though I'll, I'll just say that mm. um, I, I I think, uh, following her to the bathroom like you see reporters doing that you see people doing that all the time you know like oh there's i see the senator here's an opportunity to talk to them maybe waiting for them to come out of the bathroom and having another opportunity to talk to them there and everything but 
going into there while they're literally in the stall taking care of their private business. I just don't think it's effective. I don't I think that <laughs> if anything it's going to make that person less likely to take you seriously or listen to your cause or concerns uh, because they feel so accosted. So um, you know, again, I don't want to tell anyone their business, but maybe don't do your business while someone else is doing their business. Let them do their <laughs> business, and then you can confront them with your business, if that makes sense. That seems like a good compromise. <laughs> it would be very, it would be very jarring to come out of a bathroom stall and you know somebody's recording and got questions for you. Um, incredibly uncomfortable, and but but I you know from a philosophical point, I understand. Again, that's what sometimes you know organizers want to make people uncomfortable. I I do think you know. If it was Tucker Carlson, we'd all be laughing and cheering. <laughs> so, I mean, know. I'm not saying it wasn't funny. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, I mean, who knows? What's working with Kirsten Cinema right now? I mean, nothing seems to be working with her, um, but I don't think that'll work. And I think it makes it hard for people to join that cause too. I think yeah, I think a lot I, I think a lot of compatriots in this work might not be comfortable chasing her into the actual bathroom and then make them now now it's a smaller group, you know, and not not as much of a unified message to her. So, I don't know. Yeah. Oof. I'm terrified picking up the phone and calling someone. I can't imagine going to the bathroom. I appreciate um, the bravery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about our hero of the week. This is another one of those, you know, conundrums. Like, if you worked at Facebook, would you do this? Mm, probably not. I think that, um, of course, our hero of the week is Francis Hogan. Uh, the Facebook whistleblower who mm -hmm. uh, was on 60 Minutes and uh, and is, as we are recording this, currently testifying to Congress as well. She said on 60 Minutes that Facebook is misleading the public about lies, hate, and disinformation on its platform. Time and time again, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has put Facebook's profits ahead of truth, safety, health, and democracy and um, we've seen recent reporting uh, that Facebook knows uh, how dangerous to especially young girls' health Instagram is and, mm -hmm. um, and that it has contributed to uh, suicidal ideation in young girls, yet they blocked the results of their own internal findings on that and continued to mm -hmm. operate Instagram in the same ways, uh, putting young women's life literally at risk. They knew that they were playing a role in uh, spreading QAnon, uh, you know, bullshit, QAnon bullshit, uh, mm -hmm. but continue to do that too. So um, I really, anytime a whistleblower in a, in a huge company like Facebook that has so much power, I mean, we learned about the power and influence they had just by yesterday when they went dark for a little bit um, and no one could get oh on gosh. and everyone's freaking out. You know, it's uh, AOC had a great thing. Like if you're uh, this tied up into Facebook being down for a few hours, you ought to look at the stranglehold they have on our information and, and media. So 
hero of the week, Frances Hogan, for actually stepping forward, making her identity known, uh, and not being anonymous, but testifying and doing interviews about what Facebook actually knows and does anyway. Yeah, it's, um, you know, really a shame because um, I, I've relied on social media for so long when it comes to engaging first people when I was, you know, sources and, and people when I was a journalist, but then immediately after that, political campaigns, it, you know, it's it's such a powerful tool that everyone relies on. And then to know that people are having an experience with it that is dark and sinister and, and really leading them down be, because, as you know, the whistleblower was explaining on 60 Minutes, it's showing you the things that are going to get you the most worked up and it right. learns and it draws people in that way. Um, it, it's terrifying. I do want to, you know, my reason for hope actually has, you know, has a like a flip side to that a little bit. So I just want to tease that. Teaser. Okay, good. <laughs> stick, stick around for the for, for my reason for hope to, to talk about the flip side, but we we've got to like all the bad really does kind of outweigh the, the potential at this point. I want to reinforce what you just said uh, because we've talked about this on the podcast with some different uh, experts over the years we've been doing this. Um, but one thing that I even think the media kind of misses is it, it, that engagement thing with the algorithm. Um, mm -hmm. It's total engagement. And, and what it, it doesn't matter if you like something or dislike something, you get more of it when you engage with it. So mm -hmm. that that's what Facebook does. And that's what all these algorithms do. So if you get content that you really hate and you put that hate emoji on it or a thumbs down, you're going to get more of that content because you have engaged with it. So, you know, quick tip for everybody. If you do come across content that um, that you don't like, uh, you know, think very carefully before engaging in it, before commenting on it or even giving it a thumbs down or or an anger symbol, because uh, that will only amplify that messaging even more and more people will see it because Facebook rewards that kind of engagement. Um, yeah, you're always good about reminding people about the smartest ways to to interact with this. I guess it's artificial intelligence that's kind of figuring out what to show you. But um, so, but we're learning us... we're learning that it's not entirely artificial intelligence because these are algorithms True. that Facebook programs, and they can right. change. They have the ability to alter those algorithms so that doesn't happen. But they don't choose to do that even though it's propagating more of this hate uh, because it's getting them more engagement and it's making them more money. Well said. Real quick, um, before we move on to this awesome interview, let's talk about uh, this week's to-do list, which is, as it should be, all Virginia all the time. It's all Virginia all the time. We are less than Four weeks from the election right now, mm -hmm. even though it is E-Day every day because early voting has already started. And uh, if you heard our special pod on Friday, our mini pod with the incredible mm -hmm. results from Vote Forward, uh, there are still letters to be written for Virginia through Vote Forward. That is an effective tactic. If you didn't hear that, go back and, and listen to 
uh, Scott and Emily's report, letter writing works, and uh, and it's a fun and easy way for you to engage and and help uh, win elections. So there's that. There's phone banking, of course. Donating to these candidates are very important at this time, uh, and bang for the buck on these local legislatures, candidates like. Uh, Uh, Candidates like Katie Sponsler, exactly, really can do a lot with that money. So uh, go to swingleft.org slash VA and get involved if you haven't already. If you already have, thank you. Let's do some more. All right. Check out this interview that we have with Katie Sponsler. Stick around afterwards. We can talk about our reasons for hope. Uh, We'll be right back. Katie Sponsler is an Air Force veteran and former park ranger currently running for election to the Virginia House of Delegates to represent District 66. Katie, it's nice to see you again. I saw you at a fundraiser last week. And thanks again for taking the time to talk to us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're excited about your race. We're excited about Virginia. We're less than four weeks away from E-Day, even though, of course, early voting has already started. So it's kind of E-Day every day right now. So we want to talk about the campaign, but first a little bit about you and how you got started. Uh, Your career has been one of service, starting with the Air Force. Uh, You have a very personal story that has led you to be an advocate for issues like education and health care. What first got you interested in running for office? So um, I had actually been doing the advocacy side of it for a long time, Um, but I had never really had too much of an interest in the electoral side. Um, I saw a, a portion of it as a young girl growing up in uh, Youngstown. My my uncle had run for um, president of the local UAW, and I had um, gone out campaigning with him, and then I would go out campaigning um, for the candidates that the union had endorsed. And uh, it always seemed like a, a world that wasn't meant for me, uh, the electoral side. Um, mm. I was a little too, um, you know, calloused hand and in, in, uh, dirty fingernails for this world. Uh, but <laughs> I, um, I decided in 2017, um, uh, actually, one of my uh, personal heroes, um, Tammy Duckworth, uh, was speaking at the Women's March, and she had stated this kind of idea that we have to run mm. when we get the opportunity, when we are able to, and that we should. Um, and so, you know, I lived in this incredibly Republican uh, district that had been gerrymandered for years and uh, was about a 30 point advantage to the incumbent that had been there for 22 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing, uh, well, 28 years, but 22 of those, he had been unchallenged. And so it was that, that, that two decades of um, no one responding to him right. um, that really made me decide to run initially. So in 2020, um, I got a call in October uh, from a civil rights advocate uh, who was saying, we really want you to run. We, mm. we, you ran when it was unwinnable um, and we appreciate what you did, but we want you to run and win. And um, we want your message. We want somebody who's actually come from this community, somebody who has experienced these types of uh, hardships that legislation can make better. We want that voice to actually be represented. And I said, eh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and so then he made a whole bunch of other people call me. <laughs> so, um, there you go. 
So after um, speaking to a lot of folks and realizing that not only could we win, but we could win with a message that was true to this district, that was really representative of who was here um, and, and, and what these struggles were that we were facing, um, and that we could make people view Central Virginia a little differently um, in terms of electoral politics, uh, and that we could, you know, say, you know, this is for you. This is for you with your dirty fingernails and your in your callous mm-hmm. hands. Um, and it's something that if we are going to have a voice, we have to be that voice. At some point, we have to say advocacy uh, is wonderful, but at the end of the day, they can ignore us if we're mm-hmm. not sitting there as their peers. And so that's um, what I got convinced of. And um, then, you know, we jumped in full. F- I said, okay, well, fine, but you know, I'll file, but I'm not doing nothing until after we get um, Trump out of office. So <laughs> I went out canvassed um, in Pennsylvania a lot for for Biden, and then um, mm. came in and have been full force since November. It's almost a duty and responsibility at this point because I can. So it's, I guess I do because I can. <laughs> and that call to service, it's um, it's annoyingly persistent in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're certainly glad that you continue to answer it. Um, I, it sounds like the, you know, the big change in in this time around that you're running is that the district has been redrawn more fairly are you relying on that or are you doing anything differently this time around that, that you, you know, you learned um, from in 2017? So, yeah, I mean, we're, do, we're doing a lot of things differently. And, and really that has to do with uh, not only is the district more fair, but it's also a different district. I mean, mm. it, 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 you know, we had large swaths of rural communities. Mm. We don't now, you know, we have a small rural precinct or two, uh, but you know, we, we do, we have a very diverse district now. It used to be uh, very monochromatic. Um, we have a, um, a large exurban population. So we have a lot of folks who have been left behind by the economy currently mm-hmm. um, that are off transportation routes that don't have grocery stores. It, so it, it's completely different people that we're speaking to, um, which I'm really excited about because I, I feel like they're my people. Um, this is my community. <laughs> um, financially, it's completely different. We are able to fundraise a lot easier and better this time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in 2017, it was like, thanks for doing that. And then they'd laugh and they wouldn't give me money because oh, wow. um, they knew it was a 30 point district. Right. But we also um, are incumbent retired this year, so we don't have that 32 years of incumbency to fight. We have a, a, a new opponent, and that opponent is uh, very far right. So we have made a lot of changes. And it, I mean, some things are just, you know, you learn by doing. And in mm-hmm. 2017, you know, I learned a lot. Um, you know, one of the biggest things for us is that every community gets spoken to, you know, that we are in every precinct, that there is no side of this uh, district that we're not like, oh, okay, well, this is where all our Democratic voters are. So we're going to go there all the time. We're making sure that folks know that their vote matters. A gerrymander for three decades means that people don't think that they can make a difference with their vote because they haven't been able to. So really driving that home that, hey, that it does matter now. You you really can make a difference with your vote um, and, in a statewide election. And um, it's really important that this district could decide whether or not we still have a Democratic majority in the House of Delegates. Mm. Um, and, you know, 
that that's important. Um, yeah. Not just because we don't want to go back, which is something we say a lot. We don't want to go back. Um, but also because we want to continue moving forward. You know, we've only had two years to move forward. It's not enough with a part-time legislator. We have so much more work to do and we can do that. But, you know, we have to continue to be in charge. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and when you look at th- what you have been able to do in uh, in the Commonwealth over the last couple of years and compare it to the work that Republican-led legislatures are doing in states like Georgia and, sorry, Mariah, Texas um, and others, uh, it, it couldn't be more important to hold on to that majority and continue doing this work. So um, agree 100 percent. I know everyone else listening to this does, too, which is why we're so excited to help get involved in Virginia. And you seem to also have a very values-driven campaign on your Twitter account. You talk about um, fundraising and, and money that you're not comfortable taking and, mm-hmm. um, and why grassroots donations are so important to you. Uh, and we know that donations make a big impact on races like yours. What would you do with donations at this point in the race? So at this point, everything is about communication. Everything is about speaking to voters. So, um, you know, there are so many things that it helps us do. For starters, it's paid comms. You know, it's it's uh, TV, it's radio, it's um, it's mail, and um, it's digital. Mm-hmm. So all those places that we want to make sure we're talking to folks who are there. But it's also those paid canvassers, getting out mm-hmm. folks to remind people to get to the polls, to let people know how important it is this year, uh, because that one-on-one contact is invaluable. So we put that out there. Now, on a more kind of open note, each dollar that I can um, get through donations that I can spend on those paid comms that I can spend is also a dollar I don't have to get through phone calls. It's a dollar that I don't have to spend Uh, the five minutes on the call asking a donor for, which means it's a door I can knock. It's a voter in my district I can speak to personally. And that is an invaluable impact. When when people are able to meet their candidates, they know they care, they know they're here, they know they're in the community, but also they get that opportunity to say, oh, you know, this lady, which I think is probably my biggest strength, right, is um, I... I have an in, inability to hide how much this matters to me. Mm-hmm. So I think that people are like, you know, this woman genuinely cares. This is genuinely a passion for her. And I think that's something that we get when we're in person. And I get to be in person more when I don't have to be on the calls begging for, you know, begging for money. And so that money that comes in helps me get out there more too. Yeah, those... Uh you know, those dollars in the final weeks are such a big game changer. Um, So we're going to make sure that, you know, your point about making sure that Virginia keeps the majority is I just really hope that that people hear that um, and see uh, the impact that their their last minute donations can have. Um, You mentioned having calluses on your hands. (laughs) I have I have weightlifting calluses on my hands. I bet you do too, because you're a trainer. Uh, And campaigns are notoriously hard on the body, um, mentally and physically. Um, There's little sleep, it's high stress, you're eating terrible foods a lot of times just to like get get the energy going. Um, So how are you staying healthy? 
So it's incredibly um, important for me. So I, um, you know, there's this tiny little um, green ribbon in my boots on my logo and my sign. And that green ribbon is for lymphoma. I do um, suffer from a chronic lymphoma um, that I, I believe is due to burn pit exposure, but they, the VA and DOD haven't confirmed the link. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that because it's a chronic cancer and it acts much like an autoimmunity. And so there are actually a couple candidates running right now in the Commonwealth. Um, and I'm proud of all of them. Most of them are younger than me um, that suffer from invisible illness and campaigns in particular are so hard on that uh, because stress activates autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. And um, so it is very, important to me. And and then on top of it, um, because I am currently um, a stay-at-home mom, I'm, I'm a full-time candidate. I do about 80 hours a week of some sort of campaign-related work. Yeah. Um, so I, and I have a six-year-old with a with autism who started kindergarten this year. So, you know, I, it, I still sleep in his bed every night because that's the only way he sleeps. Um, so making sure that I find those times. So things like making sure I attend my regular medical appointments, um, Mm -hmm. very important. Uh, Making sure that, um, of course, you know, that I got my vaccine as soon as I was eligible. Um, So Mm -hmm. to to anybody who hasn't, please do so, Um, especially if you're out knocking doors in your community. But um, I spend Sunday evening typically prepping lunches for the week so that I have things that are on diet and that help my immune system. Um, I try to make sure I have enough time to do my physical therapy exercises at work. Um, And while I'm doing call time, we have a a joke. Um, There's a local group in Northern Virginia that does a call every Friday. And they always tease me because I'm off camera. And I always tell them I was was just getting my yoga in. Um, So yeah, (laughs) making sure sure I find a time to get, um, you know, those workouts in that make me feel better, um, that I spend at least one day a week, I, I, I spend a few hours hiking with my kids outside or mm. in the kayaks um, out on the river, um, because it's both mental and physical health. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, that's, that's really important. Um, I, it, it does fail me sometimes. And, it, and it's harder probably for me than a lot of folks, because I do live with chronic illness. But, you know, stating that stating and I, and I think, you know, we're, trying to be those of us who are dealing with it, you know, me and my fellow Spoonies that are out there in the, in the Commonwealth running for office right now, um, kind of exposing it, you know, I, the, the wonderful Blakely Lockhart, um, it, she posted a photo of her um, hooked up to an IV while she did some campaign work um, as she <laughs> ran for office. And, you know, so a week later I posted one and it said, you know, shout out to Blakely of me in a hospital mask and a, and a gown saying, you know, going in for an MRI because I have to get my checks done, then I'm going to a fundraiser. Um, so, you know, I think being open about it helps. I do. I think it helps with our health because I think frequently we act like we're weak or somebody's going to question our health. We saw that in 2016 constantly, mm-hmm. you know, you know, yeah. oh, Hillary's sick. Right. She's not capable. Did you see that Biden stumble? He's, he's, his health is gone. And hey, this is one of the reasons I run because these medications are expensive because we have to wait because, you know, uh, you know, it's five o'clock on a Friday night and this is when I could get in for my MRI that I need to have done regularly because my children are at greater risk for all of these things because of environmental conditions. These are all reasons I run. So exposing that and showing it, but also saying, you know, hey, I'm going to work through it. I'm going to work harder because mm. I'm sick, you know, and, and go ahead, call me weak, but I'd like to see you do it the way, you know, 
You're, you couldn't do this. <laughs> so I, I don't think it. anyone yeah. could call you weak at all. Yeah. You uh, are an incredibly strong human and very inspiring. And that's some great advice, too. It's hard enough just to avoid the campaign office pizza, um, right? That's really inspiring. Um and, and so great to be able to hear your story, and we're excited to support your race. And uh, I know everyone listening is going, we'll put a, a link to your website on our show notes page, but do you want to give it uh, a shout out right now as well? Yes. So you can find me at my name, katiesponsler.com. And it, it's got, you know, my biography, links to donate, of course. We always make sure those are prominent. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's, and and um, as well as opportunities to volunteer. So if you're a phone banker or, you know, a, a postcard or whatever, those opportunities are all available there as well. Perfect. And like I said, we'll put that link on our uh, swingleft.org slash podcast page as well. Plus, on our weekends of action and everything, we're, uh, our volunteers are going to have an opportunity to, uh, to help you out. Uh, one last question, though, before we let you go. Uh, what gives you the most hope for our future right now? So there is a book called The Kids Are All Left. And it talks about how as most generations age, they get more conservative. That has been the historical precedent. Uh, millennials are bucking that trend in a great way. Um, they are actually going further um, to the left. Hmm. Uh, and that Gen Z following up behind them is making millennials look like conservatives. So um, it, I think what gives me the most hope is seeing, you know, I, I'm only 41 years old, which is actually young to be doing this, which is crazy to me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I had a kid at 18 and was married at 18. So um, my 22-year-old daughter and the way she views the world, uh, my six-year-old son and the things I don't have to explain to him, um, we are seeing the differences in our kids. Um, we have people under the age of 30 running um, for, for office all over the Commonwealth, all over the country. Overwhelmingly, I see a generation behind me that knows that this is the right way to do things. This is the way things are supposed to be. They don't question it. You know, they don't question whether a man and a man can fall in love. They don't question whether their black classmate is their equal. They don't question these things that we, you know, have to fight for. They don't question whether a woman has a right to her own healthcare decisions. It's just an assumption. And, and they are, you know, going to move forward to that. So I think, you know, statistically to, to have that backed up, you know, to, to have just recently picked up uh, this book and, and seen this as statistically backed up, hmm. but also to see it in my kids and their groups of friends uh, as, they, as they build these, um, you know, coalitions. And I, it can feel like we're losing to corporate interest and that we are um, losing to this, you know, white supremacist, um, niche that has just become so vocal in the last uh, decade, but we're not. We're winning, and that's why they're fighting so hard. That's why they're so loud. And so I think what gives me hope more than anything, I, I, I guess, you know, cliched as it might sound, is our kids. You know, I'm uh, the granddaughter of of immigrants, and you know, my grandfather would always say that all he wanted to see was a little bit better. Each generation, a little bit better. 
a movement forward. And I, I think this generation coming up behind me is a leap. I, I mean, I, I think they're yeah. going to be amazing. And, and, I, and I think hopefully that's due to the work we do as long as we keep doing it. You know, and, uh, and it might be because they're terrified about climate change. But, you know, <laughs> we, we did kind of leave them a bad They came by that rightly. There. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Katie Sponsler, thank you so much for, for taking a few minutes to chat with us and talk to us about your race. Uh, clock is ticking. We know a lot of people who are going to jump in as donors and volunteers. So um, thanks for, for letting them know um, what a huge impact their work is, and support is going to have. Yeah, thank you so much for doing the work and and offering the support. You know, it's it's amazingly um, humbling to like just have uh, people invest in you and and believe in you and and that's um, for this you know Calistan little girl from from Youngstown, Ohio. That's um, <laughs> A huge imposter syndrome t- trigger, but you know, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm incredibly grateful for it. Well, we're grateful for you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right, Mariah. I am waiting with bated breath now to hear the flip side of your uh, Facebook social media reason for hope. So, What's your reason for hope this week? So my reason for hope is uh, North Carolina congressional candidate Charles Graham and this uh, campaign ad that he uh, he his his team just released that tells a you know a really wonderful story. The story itself, the outcome of the story is wonderful, but it's about how um, the community that he's from back in 1958 took on the Ku Klux Klan. And he comes from a very diverse community, um, lots of white, black, Native American residents there in the 50s. Um, and the, the the Klan tried to start some shit and the people said, uh-uh, mm. I don't think so, and came together. And he, the ad comes back to present day and talks about the importance of all of us standing together and how, um, you know, the clan, what the clan was trying to do was divide a community. They tried to rule with fear. They, they were concerned about their power being taken away. Um, and that's not what this community is. And that's not what this country is. It is a powerful ad. I encourage everyone to watch it. It's two minutes long. Hmm. Now, this is very long for an ad. So <laughs> the only way that you can show something like this, because TV is so expensive, is to release it on social media, which is what um, the Graham campaign did. And it's gone viral. And this is the upside of social media. This is when the little campaign doesn't have the money for a TV ad, but has something important and powerful to say, there's a platform for it. Um, so that is what's giving me reasons for hope and um, love the ad, love the the past, present day tie-in. Encourage everyone to to look out for it yeah. um, and, and watch and encourage us to figure out how we get more content like this to go viral. I'll check out that social. ad. Yeah, that sounds cool. What's your reason for hope this week? Um, okay, so my reason for hope is uh, 
hopefully not fleeting. Um, and, you know, every time we talk about the coronavirus, it's a tough conversation to have. Right now, there has been reporting that there is a national decline in new infections. There's some different speculation reasons for this. Um, there's this kind of odd two-month cycle that spikes tend to take, you know, worldwide, mm. and experts don't really know exactly why that is. And it's also not always the case, um, but in a lot of cases, there's been sort of like a two-month uh, cycle of, of infections and then it diminishing. So uh, right now we're seeing the averages go down. Um, mm -hmm. Still very, very uh, bad situations in uh, some southern states, mostly Republican-led states. The hopeful part is that infections are going down, um, and if we are continue to be vigilant and, um, and live our lives within this construct of a new normal for how, how we do this, then I'm, I'm feeling more hopeful that we can start to do what my daughter's doing, which is going, going to school and do what we did last weekend, which is go to a outside concert uh, where everyone was required to be uh, vaccinated and show proof of vaccination and all that. So it's hopeful for the days ahead, but um, a, a remarkable price that we've paid already. Mm. Um Thanks for thanks for that update. I'll be honest. I mean, we've been in this for so long that I've stopped looking at the numbers the the way that I used to. And so yeah. um it's helpful to know that we're we're on a positive tra trajectory. Thank you so much for that. You got it. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and stay engaged. What's your reason for hope? We want to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org or you can tweet to us at Steve and at Mariah underscore Craven. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. And of course, share our show on that fantastic medium of social media. <laughs> <laughs> Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And also while you're there, sign up to volunteer. How We Win is a proud member of the MSW Media Network. Check out the other great podcasts there at mswmedia.com. We appreciate you being here with us. We'll be back with some more next Wednesday. See you then. MSW.